How Should the Church Address Racism? This week, we have special guest D.A. Horton on to talk about his book, Intentional Kingdom, Ethnicity, and a Divided World, to discuss the issue of race. And that's what we'll be discussing today, Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, you are listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, and I am your host, Tyler, with Robbie. Hey, here guys. Today. And yeah, we're super excited to get involved with this discussion this week. We have a special guest, D.A. Horton, to discuss ethnicity and race. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome podcast. Um, this, this book that he wrote, Intentional, um, is just such a great book, um, and uh, we are so excited that we get to promote this and to uh, have it kind of be sponsoring uh, the show. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to be hearing a lot about this book, but you need to get this book uh, definitely uh, sometime and get to reading it. So also, we'd like uh, just to remind you that if you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on here at Christ Culture and Coffee, follow us on Instagram, become a Christ Culture and Coffee insider on our Facebook Insiders group. Now again, uh, and I know we've said this before, but if you yeah. want to be an insider, you have to leave us a review on iTunes iTunes. No joke, Tyler. Yeah. This, this week, I've That's had right. seven people ask to be insiders, and they and it says, have you left us a review on iTunes? And I they said, put, no. No. Yep. It's like, okay. <laughs> no. And I know this is like a broken record, right? right. Uh, that's a phrase my grandma used to use. I don't know what it means. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Right. But yeah, this, it is like a broken record, right? <laughs> we are yeah. saying this all the time, but it's because people keep asking to be in it, but they don't leave us a review. Yeah, you're right. So if you want to be an insider, please go leave us a review on iTunes, and then we will let you be in immediately. It's very simple, very easy. Yeah, it's take super about two easy. Minutes, so yeah, please do that. Yeah, it's uh, it's super important. And then, um, like we said, like the reason we want you on the insiders group is because it's just a really cool community of like-minded people who are posting uh, great thoughts on apologetics, and we're also contributing to uh, be a, a resource for you mm-hmm. on that in that group by. Um, providing answers to any questions you might have. And then also we've even had some exclusive content for insiders, like yep. like our exclusive podcast that we came out for the insiders group, and which you can only listen to if you're an insider. Yeah, definitely. You want to be right. part of it. It's it's just, the, it's the best people, man. It's yeah, the best people on there. It's a great, great community of people who are encouraging each other, asking questions, praying for one another. Uh, it's just, I love it. I love seeing what's going on on there right. and how God's using it to encourage and equip his church. So yeah. we definitely want you to be a part of that. And so, yeah. And so with that, uh, just uh, kind of giving you guys an idea of the topic for today. Um, this is Christ's culture and coffee. And mm-hmm. today, this is something that's about our culture and how uh, the church should respond to race and ethnicity. Yeah, we've kind of inherited uh, the point in our history of, of the country where we're at, right? Right. Uh, we, we've just, we've, we've kind of been thrown into this tension of, of racism and, and the different um, factors from the past that have contributed to the present situation. But what do we do as the church going forward? Right. How do we uh, make a stand and, and change the way things have been going for Christ? How can there be uh, forgiveness? How can there be movement forward? How can there be you know reconciliation? All of these types of things. And so today, we have a very special guest with us, uh, D.A. Horton. He serves as the Assistant Professor of Intercultural Studies at California Baptist University. He's also a pastor at Reach Fellowship in Long Beach, 
Beach, California, and he is the author of seven books, including mm. the one that we're promoting today on the show. That's right. Intentional Kingdom Ethnicity in a Divided World. We're so excited to have DA on with us today. Yes. And so uh, with that, again, just the whole purpose of this interview and this podcast is to uh, equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and to be confident in their faith. And this is something that's really important to the Christian worldview is how we interact with others culturally and how we address racism. And so we hope that you enjoy this interview that we have here with D.A. Horton. All right, D.A., thanks for being with us so much today. How are you doing out in California? I'm blessed, man. I can't complain. It's another gorgeous day out here in Cali. Yeah, we're pretty jealous of you guys because we're in Arizona, and so during the summer, it is just (laughs) horrible out here. Everybody leaves and goes out to California to get some relief from the hot, hot temperatures. Yeah, it's cooling off a little bit, but it's still hot. Yeah, it's nice. You know what's funny? I I don't know if you know this, but out here in Arizona, when the weather gets nice, people literally, we start saying, oh man, it's so nice outside. It feels like California. That's how how we define good. It feels like California. So you truly are blessed to be out there, man. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, hey, so you've got a new book that is just out called Intentional Kingdom Ethnicity in a Divided World. Um, We've got a copy of the book. We we both loved it. We really like um, what you propose in here. But let's talk a little bit about uh, how you got to the point of writing a book on racism. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um. You know, probably about six years ago, I was approached by a ministry organization, and they asked me to put together uh, kind of like a lecture presentation from Scripture to deal with the issue of gospel and race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was presenting in, you know, five different contexts, uh, Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis, Kansas City, and then the Ozarks section of Missouri. So it's oh, five wow. different situations. Yeah, so it was across the board. You know, this is within the evangelical you know, Protestant expressions of the Christian faith and how the Church can respond. And so um, out of that conversation uh, and that content from traveling in those cities, I began to look at just similar rhythms and the responses and the tensions that were existing in all five of those spaces. They were just identical, and it had no, you know, no, no other way uh, that I could describe it other than, man, these are some obvious walls that we keep hitting when we talk about the way that the church should respond to these tensions. And mm-hmm. so as I was developing, you know, more thoughts into that, then the situation in Ferguson happened with Mike Brown and Officer yeah. Darren Wilson. Mm-hmm. And that right there began mm-hmm. to help me recognize uh, the way that we're going about this conversation within the church is just unhealthy altogether. And I just began to ask the Lord for more precise language that roots back to Scripture, that kind of evades a lot of the you know, uh, walls that we build as human beings, but let alone within the body of Christ. Mm. And so I said, man, what what is a better way to to approach this conversation? So looking at the idea of racial reconciliation, I just began to kind of pick apart that phrase and say, yeah, you know, I think this is not in step with reality, but it's also not in step with Scripture. Um, And so I just began to look at those two terms and begin to realize, like, you know, I can't get with this term anymore. I don't want to say I'm an advocate for racial reconciliation because, number one, I don't think that there's multiple races. There's one race, the human race. Mm -hmm. But inside Mm -hmm. of the human race, there's a diversity of ethnicities that God has created out of his genius for his glory. Mm -hmm. And so in recognizing that, you know, that's when I had to 
understand the pushback, well, people are going to think you're saying, okay, we should be colorblind. No, that's not exactly what the Scripture says either. So that's where I said, you know, let's do away with the term racial, let's replace it with ethnic, because that is more biblically, but then also culturally and realistically in tune with what's going on. But then also that term reconciliation, I begin to realize you, you have to be reconciled. And on American soil specifically, there's never been a time when the nations in mass, the ethnicities in mass, have had animosity, distrust, and hostility mm-hmm. removed. Mm-hmm. So if we've never been consiled, how can we then be reconciled? <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. That, so that's where I just began to say, okay, Lord, let's let's kind of tease this out. Let's look at what the Word says, what the social context and the climate looks like. And man, let's arm the people of God with a pathway forward that will produce tangible results for God's glory. That is awesome, man. Well, and that's what you've—I mean—that's what you've done with this book, which is just phenomenal. I like what you said about um, the the colorblind model. You know, some people propose that, like, we just have to pretend like there aren't any distinctions. Why do you think that that's a, a bad way to go about it? Yeah, the reason, uh, number one, is because, you know, God elected us to be the ethnic heritages that we have. That's mm-hmm. not something that we chose. Um, so so looking at that, um, if God is sovereign and he's elected us, and this is part of the grand scheme of the meta narrative of Scripture, that God is going to redeem the nations, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Mm-hmm. When we say that I'm going to ignore your ethnicity, that's kind of negating the biblical plan. That's negating <laughs> what we see in Scripture is this beautiful diversity of a kingdom population that is innumerable, but it's made up of people from various languages, various ethnic groups. Both genders are represented. The generations are represented. So anything on this side of eternity that can be a snapshot of what the final consummation is going to look like, that is what we need to advocate for. So if the Apostle John, when Christ revealed to him in the book of Revelation, which I love to tell people that's like God's Instagram feed, (laughs) the reality of what the Apostle John saw— why can't we like? Why can't we be a brochure of that on this side? And yes. if he saw that the, there were ethnic differences, he didn't say, "Okay, everybody is of one ethnicity." No, he recognized there was d- obvious distinction that remained in the eternal state. So, if mm-hmm. God elected us to be these ethnicities that we will have in the eternal state, instead of ignoring it, instead of saying, "I don't see color," that's a lie. You do see color. We all have sure. different pigmentation and levels of melanin. So, when we say, "I don't see color," I just see the person. That's not true. So we need to be more honest. We need to affirm ethnicity rather than what colorblind uh, philosophy says, which you ignore. But that's then going to lead people to the opposite extreme, which is ethnocentrism, where they say, I will idolize my ethnicity. And I think the biblical response is affirmation, which mm-hmm. keeps us away from idolizing and ignoring. So that's that's my biggest pushback against the whole colorblind philosophy. Yeah, I couldn't mm-hmm. agree more. I, th- I think, too, with the colorblind idea, it— it takes variety out of life, right? It's almost mm-hmm. like saying we just need to get to you know neutral instead of being able to appreciate the diversity yeah. that God created. I I've never understood that, and and even with you know obviously with skin color, but even with cultural differences, right? And and there's so yeah. much that we can learn and appreciate about people that come from different cultures than we do. Um, and it would just be kind of boring if we made everything the same. I don't know. I'm glad that in heaven there's still going to be this this variety amongst our brothers and sisters. It's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and that's why 
us functioning together uh, for the flourishing of the people of God and the community of Christ on this side of eternity is only the appetizer until when we get to heaven and we get to be in the eternal state with our Lord and our Savior and with the entirety of the kingdom people that he has redeemed from every nation, tribe, and tongue. So why not begin to learn how to function in that level of flourishing now? Because that's what our eternal position is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that so many people are uncomfortable with, with that idea, and I, and I don't know why. I think that that is definitely what we're going to be doing forever, yeah. um, but so many people get a little uh, freaked out about, well, I want to keep you know things, especially in church, right? I want to keep things the way that I've always done them, and my preferences, instead of changing things up or adding variety or looking to include people that are, are different from, from oneself. So wh- what, are, what are some of the things that you would say about uh, where the church is at now? Yeah, you know, I think we're in, we're in a position where we're actually needing to call out the idols of our own heart. Every individual believer can do that. Um, one, one of the great things of division that I see that produces a stalemate, especially in this topic that we're talking about within the body of Christ in America, is that, you know, we've been fussing and fighting over this idea about racism and it being either individual or institutional. Mm-hmm. And a lot of energy has been wasted in trying to argue the other side into believing what our position may be. And the whole time we're arguing, whether it's institutional or it's individual racism, I think we are not allowing ourselves to allow God to speak to us about the own idols that we have in our hearts. And we're more focused on trying to be right or winning an argument or converting somebody to our position. And that's just what I've seen take place ever since Videos have gone viral in this new era of quote-unquote race relation talks, specifically within the body of Christ. I am not talking about society at large. I'm talking about within the people of God who claim faith in Christ. Um, So for us, uh, what I'm seeing is that, yeah, you know, we are a highly politicized people right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have – we did not listen to the counsel given to us by Francis Schaeffer. He wrote a book back in the early 80s called The Great Evangelical Disaster. Mm. And in one of the latter chapters, he cited three weaknesses of evangelicalism. And this brother wrote this in 1982, and it still hits my gut in 2019. Mm. He said the three weaknesses is, number one, uh, what we have is there is no healing that has taken place with the conversation of race, slavery, and segregation specifically in the American church. We have never healed from that. We don't want to deal with all the infection. Number two is that we have basically built our lives in such a way that we do not want our personal peace or our affluence interrupted or disrupted. And personal peace, he meant, I'm insulating my life that I can control my level of comfort. I do not want my comfort disrupted, and I don't want my financial outlook in life disrupted. So I will do everything I can to protect my personal peace and my affluence. And the third weakness that he said is that any nation, any people who are Christ followers that wrap the cross of Jesus in the nation's flag have basically participated in syncretism. And so in America's church today, in large, this issue of ethnic tensions, cultural tensions, subcultural tensions, We've seen all three of those issues play out right in front of us, and obviously people did not listen to the warning of Francis Schaeffer in 1982. So here we are. Another generation has inherited these struggles, and I think now 
this is the perfect time for us to say, okay, how do we deal with the issue of race, slavery, segregation? How do we as the people of God talk about this? Number two, how do we lean into the tensions of seeing where the idols of our heart that we have invested so much of our time, our resources, our energy into building up personal peace and building up our own affluence? And then finally, am I wrapping the cross of Christ in my nation's flag? Am Mm -hmm. I basically saying Christianity is a form of nationalism? And that's what we're seeing by and large in our day. And I think God has given us this key opportunity, this Kairos moment, if you will, for us to begin to say, man, we are kingdom people. Uh, the, the document that dictates our rhythm of life is not the nation's constitution. It's actually the word of God that is <laughs> yeah. transcendent. Uh, when we look at who our commander-in-chief is, ultimately our first chief, the head of the body, that's Jesus Christ. We are in submission to him, and we submit to him before we submit to any other governance or authorities. And so when we begin to recognize that, that that's not a call for anarchy. That's a call to say, I'm on. I'm supposed to be living my life on Jesus' mission, not even my own mission. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we have to recognize that if we are a kingdom people, heaven is not going to be America 2.0. And what we have to recognize is the fact that, okay, how can I have a concern for the global body of Christ? And then how can I recognize that there's freedom and how we worship the Lord differently in our churches or how we do evangelism? Because how church looks in Southern California is not what it looks like in Atlanta. It's not Mm -hmm. what it looks like in Boston, but it's Mm -hmm. definitely not what it looks like in Syria or Iraq or Iran right now. It, It looks different in those contexts because of the different cultural nuances. And so I think we're in this space right now where we as the people of God can have honest conversations, a call for repentance, and this is where every individual bears that responsibility. And that's why I even tell my readers, like, we have to engage, like Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God, show me the grievous ways that are within me, and then let me confess and repent and walk in the fruits of repentance of my own personal idols that I want to sacrifice, lay down so that I can take up Jesus's mission instead of my own mission. So I think we're in a very crucial moment where we can actually practically work these things out. Yeah, I, I agree completely with you on that. Mm. I, I think that so much of, of what you said about what, what Schaefer said back in the 80s was, you know, completely on point. That guy was just, I mean, everything he wrote was oh, just yeah. brilliant. Right. I love his yeah. stuff. But I think that... Um, that, yeah, that idea of personal comfort, right, and, and, and affluence and, and security financially is something that a lot of people struggle with, along with uh, this, this weird idea that America is Christianity. And I think that's why so many evangelicals are um, up in arms and, and all of their hope rests on who becomes president or who controls the Supreme Court. Uh, and, yeah. and I've never understood that because I thought— I. I know who the king of everything is. I mean, he, he wins right. in the end, and I'm going to follow that guy. And and I can I can enjoy my country, and I can look at the good of it, and say, man, there's there's a lot we've got going for us, and and liberty is a good thing. But it isn't Christianity, right? It, it's a country yeah. that's run by human beings that that fails, um, just like every government does. Uh, all around the world until Jesus comes back. So I, I, I think that that's a huge, um, I don't know. I don't know how people bought into that lie, to be honest. It doesn't make a lot of sense uh, when you read Scripture. I think, too, one of the things that people need to do is get out of the country, which means 
you know, forfeit some of your comfort and go yeah. to a, to another country and see how the church is operating there yeah. and understand yeah. that Christianity isn't just how we do church in America at all. There's so many different um, forms of the church around the world, right? But we're all doing the functions of the church. We're evangelizing, we're making disciples, we're worshiping God. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing, I think, to get out there and to see how God's at work with people that you've never thought of, people that you didn't know were there. There, uh, and to see that God's way bigger uh, than your, you know, small area of the world. Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's why both international and domestic mission trips are so crucial, because it allows us to step out of, you know, the subcultural rhythms that we're used to, and we get to see how God uh, has called people to live on mission in, in, in a space that is completely out of the ordinary for us, and it allows us to be, begin to recognize Man, there's some there's some minor, secondary or tertiary issues that I'm 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 trying to bleed on that hill to die on. You know what? It's just not worth it. In the grand mm -hmm. scheme of things, it's just not worth it. I, I, these are my preferences at best. They're not biblical mandates. Mm -hmm. And then we then focus our energy on what are the biblical mandates and how can we come alongside and partner with with other works, other churches, and other believers who are seeking to reduce lostness and produce disciples in their immediate context, uh, where they're called to and assigned by Christ. I think when we take that approach, that that's more healthy because it allows for that space for people to contextualize the truth of the gospel to the to the people that are their target, you know, constituents where they live, move, and and have their being. Because again, mm -hmm. it's going to look different in application. Yes. Uh, whether you're, if I'm in Long Beach and Compton, it's going to look different than you know uh, than Portland, Oregon. It's just going to mm -hmm. look different. Mm -hmm. And but that that doesn't mean that the the transcendent truths that we preach change. No, our methodology changes, yes. but not the message. And so I think, yes, yeah, as, as the people of God, um, we're coming out of that era of the culture war. You know, in, in the 80s, the, the late 70s and the 80s is when a lot of the things that we've inherited in our day, you know, be, began to get politicized when, you know, the moral majority rose up. And, and mm -hmm. basically the issue of the day back then was Roe v. Wade. You know, you, you have to vote pro-life. And mm -hmm. so that's why I even speak to that tension in, in the book Intentional is that, you know, I'm, I'm evangelical. And I'm, you know, I have no problem saying that. I would align more with evangelicals in Latin America in my definition of evangelical. But the reality is, as an evangelical who is theologically conservative but also socially active, you know, I'm engaging in these different spaces. And what I recognize is that, you know, when when Christianity is reduced to what party line you vote for, then then we have basically, you know, we're 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 expressing a faith that is not in step with the scriptures when it's reduced to a political line in which we vote. And when the, the moral majority, I think the, the hearts were in the right place, but the application of starting a culture war only furthered, you know, the non-believing world to now say, oh, they, they're not critical thinkers, and, and we, we inherited a lot of this baggage. And then there's this constant, you know, response of fear-mongering and scare tactics that are used that if we don't keep this political party in power, then, oh, man, we're going to lose tax exemption. We're going to do this. We're going to, yeah. you know, with Bethel O'Rourke's comments, see, we told y'all this is what's <laughs> going to. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like, you know, as I read the scriptures, and, and I say this not tongue-in-cheek, I really mean this. I don't see tax exemption status as being a necessity for the church to <laughs> yeah. flourish. I yeah. don't. 
Jesus has given us a commission. Every single believer has the same job description, and it's there's not an asterisk and there's not a nuance that Jesus says, but only if you have tax-exempt status, only if you have a building, <laughs> only if you have PowerPoint, only if you have five instruments and three lead singers, only if you sing <laughs> CCM or only if you sing hymnal, like see, yeah. like all those nuances – it's like, man, we're, we're, we're passionate about the secondary and tertiary issues where, you know, like you said, you get out the country, you go to the Sudan, where brothers and sisters who follow the same Christ, made the same profession of faith when they heard the same gospel that we heard in America, preached to them, they live in caves, they gather for what look like picnics, but it's church services because of fear of persecution and martyrdom. Their church service is not lacking in the reality of the beauty that we see in the scriptures. It's lacking a building. It's lacking maybe some of the luxuries that we have in America, but mm-hmm. their heart is thriving passionately after Christ, and they know this gathering may be our last, mm-hmm. and they literally have to put their lives on the line. That's a little different when the soloist mm-hmm. is singing too loud and it hurts my ears. That's a different <laughs> problem yeah, it's than somebody. Completely different. Yeah, and so that's where I think, like, yeah, just like, man, is this at the end of the day, is this what I want to invest my passion into? Is this really going to further, uh, you know, gospel expansion in my community? Or is this something that's like, well, I just don't, that's just a preference that's not met. It's an expectation that I've had that I shouldn't put on the pastor or the people of God. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe I can fall back a little bit more and, and maybe what am I doing to evangelize personally? Who, who am I discipling in this season of life? How many people mm-hmm. from a different ethnicity have I had over to my house mm-hmm. for dinner and share a meal and get to know them and begin to process some of those more immediately uh, applicable things that we can focus on in our local churches? Yeah, that's absolutely what we should be doing. We get so caught up in preference. I mean, that is what it is. It's it's preference, and that's just selfishness when you get down to it. If my preference, you know, overrides preaching the gospel and helping people come to know who Jesus is and discipleship, then I'm just a selfish human being who needs yeah. to read scripture yeah. again yeah. and get back to what God tells me to do. But yeah, I've had so many, you know, because uh, I'm kind of I'm a pastor here at the church, and so many conversations about you know tax exempt status, and I, I always point people back to scripture i'm pretty sure jesus said that he's going to build the church and the gates of hell yeah. <laughs> won't prevail against it so yeah. the tax yeah. exempt status thing is not really the the thing that's going to kill the church um it did pretty well for a couple thousand years without it so i think we're going to be okay i'm pretty Amen. sure i don't know yeah. are christians going to stop giving because they can't get a tax write-off <laughs> i've often wondered that is that the only reason people give so they can get a write-off yeah i don't think so you know it's uh yeah uh, there's there's so much fear out there and um and we don't need to live in fear as as followers of christ right uh that is not right. what we're called yeah. to we don't mm-hmm. have a spirit of timidity right paul told timothy yeah. so we can be bold and we can go out and we can live for the lord even if it's not easy um and again is taking away you know tax exempt status is that even persecution? I don't even know if that's persecution. Not not compared to like what's going on in, in China mm-hmm. and in, in, in Korea and other places. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, just, you know, just candidly, you know, as an American, we would see that as a form of social persecution because it's like, sure. man, but at the same time, you know, as with other times in church history, and, and this is, again, this is another beautiful reality is that, you know, we have a corridor of three millennia to look back upon for robust church history. Mm-hmm. 
we have we have had fathers and mothers in the faith that have dealt with plagues. They have dealt with, you know, onslaughts. Mm. They have dealt with attacks. They have dealt with the inquisitions. They've mm. dealt with you know colonization, imperialism. They've dealt with all these things throughout the corridors of church history, and at the same time. Like you said, you know, Jesus building his church is not dependent on how society responds to Christ's work in building the church and saving souls and adding living stones to this organism that is living and breathing known as his bride. And at the same time, I think one of the things that, especially I can say this as an American, that we struggle with is I think sometimes we're building in competition to Christ, uh, Mm -hmm. another structure, another order, uh, another way of doing things. Uh, that's challenging. And it's like, you know, when I read Ephesians 2 and I look at verses mm-hmm. 11 through 22, I recognize, you know, the, the finished work of Christ obliterates every wall of segregation that human beings can build to separate ourselves from each other. That's the gospel's power on display. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that everybody has to agree on every nuance, but what that means is we are a family. And I don't know about y'all, but in my family, we all don't have the same last name. You know, my mother has sisters who have married last names, and my cousins and I have different last names, but we're all one family. And it's the same thing with the body of Christ. You know, followers of Jesus have different denominational and affiliate names, but Mm -hmm. the reality of the gospel that we preach and proclaim helps us recognize we are the one new humanity that Christ is building, and we don't all look the same, we don't all vote the same, and at the end of the day, some of the issues of persecution we face in America, it's at a different level of other believers and other spaces in the world, and that's where I've even had to tell myself, like, you know, somebody disagreed with me on Twitter. Man, that's a first-world problem. That's a (laughs) first-world problem. Yeah, right. You know, somebody somebody said something on Facebook and okay, that's a first world problem, man. And I look at the church in Iran and how it is thriving right now and and the churches that are like in the Sudan and uh, and I again, I'm looking outside of my context to say how is Jesus building his church in other spaces? Man, mm-hmm. amen. That fuels me with hope to say Jesus, how can I cooperate as your follower? As you build your church in my mm-hmm. city, how can I serve you best in this context, Lord? So. Absolutely. All right, we are going to take a quick break from our interview with D.A. Horton to hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. Stop saying reconciliation. Stop saying racism. Reconciliation implies that diverse groups of people were at one time at a point of conciliation, but that hasn't been the case. As the people of God, we are the only humans who have experienced true reconciliation. There is no one better to enter this tension with hope and solutions. What does God say about racism? In the Bible, he addresses it, but it's not our 21st century Americanized version of racism. He gets at the core, the sin of partiality. And when we really understand that, we can learn how to embrace our kingdom, ethnicity, and teach others to do the same. Read Intentional by D.A. Horton as he breaks down how God addresses these issues and the practical guidance for where we go from there. Following Jesus holistically means holding intention our unique ethnic heritages while being part of a new humanity. Go to dahorton.com to learn more about Intentional. What are some things that we can do as the church to start moving in the right direction and just getting that right mindset that's necessary? Yeah, um, you know, as it relates to intentional, this is exactly what I dedicate the whole of Mm. chapter 7 to. 
is a framework made up of different acronyms because uh, I love acronyms. And when I teach in acronyms, people are more prone to remember them. <laughs> right. But, you know, honestly, you know, as I look at it, I think if we could think, how can my local church be more resembling of a brochure of heaven? That's what we should, you know, dedicate our, our mm. work and our energy towards. How can we be a brochure of heaven? And the reality of that, you know, is you, you do want to, over the course of time, as it's relatable and it's doable for your context, see multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational-led churches mm-hmm. in the local context that have long-lasting engagement in the community with the gospel and in what I call the, the, the six avenues of life, which creates the acronym FABRIC. So how, how does Scripture and how does the church deal with the the concept of family you know what does this look like is if we are the if we are god's family there should be health in in our homes but we know that there's nuances to that there's not one profile of a family structure in our day to day so we have to recognize how does scripture address the nuances of our family structures and then how can we create interdependence amongst ourselves uh but then we also have to think about the authority structures like if scripture is our final authority for what we believe and how we live then how do we, you know, walk in submission to government? How do we walk in submission to law enforcement? Uh, how do we then also speak up if there are actions of injustice? How do we, you know, if the government ever puts something upon us that goes against our Christian faith as given to us clear in Scripture, how do we engage with that? And then also we have to look at the business structure around us. Uh, how can we see flourishing in the community that we worship in? And how can we show store owners in our neighborhood that God's people practice generosity and contentment, and we share, and we give, and we love, and at the same time, we're content we, we can't get the iPhone 11. You know, we're content <laughs> if we don't get the new update Fortnite. Like, we're content with these things, and we're not throwing a fit about it if that means instead of getting money on that, but I'm going to have somebody uh, fed and clothed, and I'm mm-hmm. going to give them a hand up, or I'm going to buy them a suit for a job interview. Like, that's how we can leverage our wealth with compassion. That's exactly what Francis Schaeffer was asking for. And then also looking at you know the, 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 the belief systems, the idols of the people around us. How do we engage with speaking to those idols in a way that we show that Jesus is better? And then also our volunteerism and in institutions of education or elderly care or rehabilitation. How, how do we get our people engaged in those spaces? so that they can live on mission while being volunteers, and and they're taking the gospel into the nooks and crannies of society where people live in the margins. And then finally, culture. How do we engage in creating beautiful art, and and how do we even critically assess the methods of entertainment in a way that we are conversant with the world, that we're Mm -hmm. not so heavily minded, that we're of no earthly good? So if somebody asks us, hey, what do you think about Kanye, or what do you think about it too, or what if you what, what what have you seen that movie yet, The Joker? What are your thoughts on that? And saying, yeah, as Christians, we live in the same real world. There's a shared humanity that we have with non-believers. The difference and the caveat is we have a hope, and our anchor is Christ, and He and His Word forms our worldview of how we interpret culture, how we interpret art and entertainment. And when you have believers that are engaged locally, but they are connected globally to a mission that Christ is marching us on, I think that's going to be very appealing to people, and it's going to allow the Father as He leads people to Christ. Man, the Holy Spirit's going to do His work through us as we're living on mission in those spaces. And the more 
ethnically, generationally diverse we are and culturally diverse we are, that's going to show the non-believing world I actually have representation in the kingdom. There are people that look like me. Uh, they may or may not think like me identically, but yet Christ has saved them. He can save me. How can I be saved? And mm-hmm. that's, again, why we're making appeals for salvation through Christ alone. Yep, absolutely. Hmm, yeah. I love that. I think that so many people— um, look to uh, the government to fix all these problems instead of saying, what role does the church play in society? And how are we supposed to step in and serve? How are we supposed to step in with mercy ministries? How are we supposed to, you know, be moved to, to compassion for people and to go out and to love and to, mm. to offer not just our money? I think sometimes it's easy to give money because it's uh, it doesn't put us out of our comfort zone. But to give my time yeah. and to give my talents to go, like you said, to go help out at, a, at an elderly care facility, to go and help out at, at a school, right? Those types of things, man. I know so many people who'd be real uncomfortable hearing that. They don't mind writing a check, but they would not want to go and do that. But those are the types of things that the church is supposed to do, right? And I mm. think as a, as a society, as, as the church in America, we have abdicated a lot of those responsibilities that are ours, and we've pushed them on the government, which it, it never was their job to do in the first place. And we do need to step up and start doing what we're called to do as the church. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's true. And I think that's where working in cooperation, you know, with and we're blessed. We live in a democracy, so mm-hmm. there there are nuances that we can we can actually leverage for 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 gospel proclamation in America that our brothers and sisters in other spaces they just simply they don't have it. But yet at the same time, they have to nuance it differently. Whether they're under a dictatorship, a monarchy, sure. or a communist regime, they, and they're and they're they're trying to figure that out. And that's the beauty of God's word. God's God's word is transcendent. It, timeless. There's no expiration date. Yet we interpret it, you know, with a historical perspective, what Mm -hmm. was God speaking to the original audience, to this author, but yet there's points of application that we have to figure out. How do we apply this in our nuanced culture? And that's the beauty of Christian conversation and camaraderie podcasts such as this, personal conversations, sermons, blogs, vlogs, all the you know conferences, all these things that we have, uh, we are contributing to an ongoing conversation of nuancing and contextualizing the application of God's Word in our specific communities that mm-hmm. Christ has assigned us to. And that's the beauty, is that it's going to look differently in spaces, but yet at the same time, there is that overarching, you know, marching order that Christ has given us to make disciples of the nation. So it should all stream back to obedience to what Christ has, has called us to do as his representation. Yep, absolutely. Mm. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, but I didn't. You wrote it in a book. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> so listen, listeners, we want you to go out and get this book. Again, it's called Intentional Kingdom mm. Ethnicity in a Divided World. <laughs> the author is D.A. Horton, uh, and you will be blessed and encouraged and mobilized and pushed as you read through this book to think through what God's calling you to do and, and why he's placed you in this time in history, in the place that you're at, and how he wants to use you uh, for his yeah. kingdom. And it may be uncomfortable, and it may not be something you're used to, uh, but it's worth it because God's calling us to be the people that he designed us to be. And it's always better to be following what God has called us to do than to be trying to seek right. out our own comfort and uh, and our own our own wants and desires. Well, DA, if people want to follow you or they want, because this isn't the only book you've written, you've written multiple books. If they want to get in touch with you or check out some of the stuff you've done, how can they do that? 
Yeah, you can you know check me out on Twitter at da underscore Horton. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well, da dot Horton. Um, I'm a professor at Cal Baptist University, so you can also look at our School of Christian Ministries and yeah, any any of that content. And then our church is called Reach Fellowship. We're in Long Beach, California. You can listen to uh, our sermons uh, from the whole teaching team. I'm not the only one who pastors there. I'm not the only uh, preacher. Uh, we have a great squad, a multi-ethnic, multilinguistic squad of mm-hmm. people that God has blessed us with. That I'm, you know, loving, you know, serving alongside my friends and my colleagues in the faith. And you can check us out on iTunes or uh, SoundCloud and just type in Reach Fellowship. That is awesome, yeah. man. Sounds cool. Yeah, and so uh, with that, though, we want to finish up this discussion by asking you a question about coffee, because this is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, and we like to (laughs) ask our guests whenever they come on the show about coffee. And so uh, do you enjoy coffee? I do, uh, multiple times a day. Yes, I love Great, awesome. See, you okay, are, good. you're a real Christian now. We know it because uh, you yeah. enjoy that's it. That's the yeah, test that's that we have. That is the test, yeah. yeah. And, and so uh, what Yeah, what kind of coffee do you like? What do you drink? Um, so I love uh, Colombian brews specifically. Mm, okay. um, I, I never put any – well, here's the thing. I tell people I never isogete my coffee. I, I only <laughs> exegete it. So I never add pumpkin spice. I never Amen. add creamer, sugar. I, I drink it black. I drink it uh, heartily, and I enjoy it. it. It not only keeps me awake, it keeps me alert. Uh, and so I've had to learn to, to temper back my consumption uh, mm-hmm. because my wife was – telling me that I was consuming uh, a couple of pots a day is just way too much. That's not healthy. <laughs> and so I said, yeah. So I, I've, I've been good. I've been a good boy cutting it down to two or three cups a day, but they're robust cups. <laughs> good. Oh, hey, that's that's all right, man. We're, God created coffee beans for us to enjoy, right? It's one of, yeah, the, that's right. one that's of right. the amazing things that he's blessed us with as Christians. Well, I'm glad to know that you drink coffee. It's always a gamble when we ask people that uh, when yeah. they come on the show. But we're thankful that, yeah, you are a true Christian because you drink the best beverage that God created for us. So that's awesome. Well, hey, uh, thanks for being with us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. Really great talking with you, DA. This has been uh, super enjoyable. And um, Tyler and I, we have been, and we'll continue just to pray for you and your ministry and for this book that God would use this as a tool to really mobilize his church so that people can go out and live on mission uh, like like you write in this book. That would just be, um, man, such a cool thing, such a turning point for our our church and our country. So hopefully uh, that's what's going to be happening. So uh, if you want to follow DA Horton again, check him out on Twitter, Instagram, all those places. You can also um, check it out on Cal Baptist University's site. And uh, I highly encourage you to get this book, Intentional Kingdom Ethnicity in a Divided World. Well, thanks so much for being with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Uh, Again, we will be back next week, and we hope that you have an awesome week living on mission for the Lord. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.